Chris! You know, I had actually uh, offered Sarah to bring a bottle, which now I oh, yeah? can see was, um, this is not a place yeah, you bring good. a bottle of wine into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like, I don't know, how many boxes are we looking at here? Might be in the presence of like 300 bottles? I think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. That wine B roll magic. What's that thing? ASMR? You know that? <laughs> Just sit there and watch YouTube videos of like yeah. clinking glasses. The last time I had seen Chris Yembenrung, he and his partner Sarah St. Lifer were giving me a ride into downtown Chiang Mai. I thought about interviewing him in northern Thailand since we were there and since his night market restaurants are nominally Thai places. But the more he talked about his restaurants and the more he talked about himself, it was clear, as we put it in this episode, these are not Thai restaurants. These are LA restaurants. That's why, for the second of our three Los Angeles episodes, I am so psyched for this conversation. California plus Chris, that's what makes night market. We talked about that combination, about why wines are such a huge part of what he does, and about how he once ambushed Jonathan Gold at a public event and ended up having him be a huge night market fan. I'm Nathan Thornburg, and from Luminary Media, this is The Trip, drinking with exceptional people around the world. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's have a sip. Yeah. Um, cheers. Cheers. Oh, that sounds good. So this is technically lunch, so I had black coffee, I had two sips of that shake, and then lunch. <laughs> Which is a... It's good. Uh, lunch wine, you know. A lunch wine. So tell me, what is this, it, of, of all the wines here, including that one that was corked, now we're at this bottle. What is it, and why? Uh, it's a bottle of Beaujolais, producer we like, uh, Dufet. It's from the 2014 vintage. In terms of how we arrived, how I arrived at picking this bottle, like, we're sitting here in my apartment that has, I don't know, 50 cases of wine. Like, I feel like it could be, we could just open up a wine shop here. And some, this is like pretty light. Like we took a bunch of it out, but we've just been buying so much wine and a lot of wine we get to just lay down for a little bit, you know, like the wine that we don't necessarily want to pour right away, or we've sort of tried to pour and it's not for whatever reason, not showing too well. So we say, okay, let's give it a little rest six months or so and then we'll revisit it and we're lucky enough to be uh you know in a position to be able to do that to like buy you know initially like we, we were not in that position i remember when we opened up like we're here in silver lake this place is like five minutes from our silver lake restaurant song and the year the year that we opened up song uh like five years ago we uh we were, I don't know, we were like a year behind schedule. We were like running out of money. We were just like, we didn't have an ABC license, so we couldn't serve. And then like right when we got it, we were like, all right, we got to start serving tonight. Like even before we get the official, like the hard copy of the license mailed to us, they're like, all right, it's active. You could start serving right away. Because like, you were holding too much. You were too invested in wine in the back. Yeah, well, and it was all at our other spot, the original night market uh, on the Sunset Strip in West Hollywood. But um, yeah, I guess you could say we had too much wine, and or you could also say that we couldn't afford to buy any more wine. As soon as we got the license, we drove over to the other spot in West Hollywood, picked like one red, one white, a sparkler, and that was our initial list. That's the line list. This is very fucking exciting to be with you today because there was not one, but two beard nominations, finalists uh, for best chef. West, West Coast. West Coast. Yeah. Chris, that's incredible, man. I mean, it's it's a short list of, I don't know, it's like 15 people or something on there. From, it's an awesome list, too. It's a ridiculous list. And then outstanding wine program. That's the one that really, like, blows my mind. That's national. Yeah. You know, like I've said in the past, like in interviews, like we're really a wine bar, like disguised as a Thai restaurant. And I'm only half joking when I say that. You yeah. Know? Like I really, uh, and I've said before that you know, there's a lot of wines we have on our list, you know, like certain Beaujolais that are a little prettier than this, um, that that aren't really meant 
as pairing items for any of the food because they're just like way too pretty and way too good to right. like have with anything. You should just drink them. And we have them just because they're super great wines, you yeah. know? And yeah. if anything, the idea, like the dream or the fantasy is for someone to just come over and open one of those bottles and just drink it and not really even be there for the food. Or to finish it before they have their meal because the wine deserves it. Yeah. Well, that shit's got to be coming up now. I hope so. I mean, it's a ridiculous list to be on because I think you had said the same thing when we, you know, when you dropped me off in mm-hmm. Chiang Mai was like also just, three weeks ago yeah, yeah three weeks ago that wine is kind of the obsession and notice you know in as much as this is a warehouse of your dreams here this is not boxes and boxes of non plat or something you know mm-hmm. these are some fucking fine ass wines mm-hmm. that are clearly where you and Sarah have your brains in a lot of the day I would say it's more than half of what we do you know and even when we opened up like literally when we opened up uh, the first night market in 2010 we had more wines and we had food items. Like we had seven dishes on the menu maybe, or eight. And I didn't even think of them as dishes. To call them dishes would be like exaggerating it. Like there was stuff available to facilitate people opening bottles of wine. You know what I mean? So the same way you would have like nuts at a bar or something. Right, or like, right. um, These are bar snacks, you know, but they were, they were a little more involved, you know, like grilled meats with like a dip, you know, like Northern or Northeastern style, like grilled meats. And then, um, like sausages, that kind of thing. Like a couple, like one or two spicy salads and then like chicken wings and like that was it. You know, just like really bare bones. I mean, it's funny because I just went there to have lunch with a buddy and was not trying to drink wine. But then the menu was kind of like, you know, they have the beers there and they're like, mm. here's our beers, but you really don't want to drink these beers. Yeah. You should drink some wine, you know, like it's like literally written on. So I, fuck it, I just, I was like, I asked her and she gave me a Riesling and like, yeah. And it was very funny because that is the voice of the place, too. Yeah. I thought it was so fucking cool to see the Beard nomination for the pro- wine program because the way you talk about wine is probably pretty unique out there in that these are like really good wines and you're also going to be like, yo, listen, this is a pretty fucking good wine. You should order this. It's really, it's to support the winemakers. I mean, at this point, it's not such a radical idea to have these wines on a wine list, but... At a certain point, you know, 2008, you know, 2009, 2010, when we actually started Night Market, mm. even during the Talisai years, like, to have any of these wines... The natural was, wines in particular. Yeah, it was sort of radical yeah. because they weren't widely available. They weren't... L.A. wasn't really known as, like, a wine town. It was more like cocktail and, like, craft beer and that kind of stuff. And it was sort of radical in a way and definitely was radical for us to get some of these wines. Like, there were certain wines, like... I remember this one producer who's really near and dear to us stopped making wine, I think in 2015 or, or 14 or something like that. But anyway, so for this final vintage, there were something like five cases of this particular cuvee that came to California or came to the West Coast. And I remember it being that Chez Panisse got three of the cases and then we got two. Huh. And and, that, and then that was like, at that point, I was just like, I felt a real sense of pride and like, wow, we've been supporting the wines. Like we, That's that respect you know boomerating I mean? it's back. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like we got these wines and it's not about scarcity or that I think it's like a pissing contest or whatever, but it was a sense of pride. And like, you know, I've always seen us as a wine place and the fact that the person who distributes the wine would bless us with these wines, which everyone wants, you know? Right give it to this like kooky like Thai restaurant it was really cool but yeah I think I'm glad you said that that voice speaks loudly when you go there that like yo have some wine like we've taken certain stances with the wine list in terms of like what types of wine we want to pour and these might be like atypical wines to to find in like an Asian restaurant quote unquote but it's just because that's what my preference is you know what I mean and it's the same way I didn't want to be another photographer in New York, like young guy photographer, like working for a guy like Richard Kern or something. You know, I don't want to have the same wine program that every other Mm -hmm. Asian restaurant might have, which is not a judgment on that. Like I'll go to those places and drink those wines. Like in our organization, I'm like famously turned off by like craft beers and you know, I just don't want them to be a part of the conversation. You know, like I love natural wine, not necessarily from a philosophical place. Like, I'm not super idealistic in that way. I'm not, right. I'm not doing it because it's great, better for the environment or whatever. It's like the carbon footprint's huge. 
you know so it's not like a philosophical thing it's because it tastes really good right and I like really industrial beer for the same reason because it tastes really good but I only bring it up not to talk about beer but to say that like I love going to like father's office and I haven't been in a while but like I love going there and drinking craft beer there Right. And like having their food and all that. And yeah. that's what they do. So I'm going to go there and drink it. It's just not what It doesn't we do. need to be shore, not... shoehorned into yeah. what you got. So that's the thing that also that I think is fascinating and probably universal about the way that people have to think about this stuff is like that moment where you decide, and it feels like you've had a lot of these moments in building up Night Market is like, no, this is actually, the way I'm seeing it is very different than what other people would see. Like you're not. I mean, it even comes down to the reason why I wanted to talk to you here in L.A. Because, like, very early on in the conversation, I think it came up. It's like, this is not a Thai restaurant. This is an L.A. restaurant. And that thing, you know, whatever it is, that night market is, also evolves. Next year will be 10 years. Throughout those 10 years, we've evolved. We've switched it up a couple different times. There was a time really early on where, yes, I, I did think about it as a real drinking place. But in terms of the food offerings that we had... You know, we were doing it really orthodox, you could say, just like grandma style food, meaning that we did everything the hardest way possible. I, that's what I placed value in at the time. And, um, and it, over time, that, that changed. Like the stuff that I valued really changed over time. And so we went away from that and sort of made our way to where we are now. Before the Beard Awards uh, get announced in May, you know, people will then start to know uh, even more than they do now about what Night Market has done. But, like, what's your, like, give me the not-yet-drunk-history version of how it got started. My family opened up the restaurant called Talisai in 1982, which is the year that I was born. My pops was just coming over from London where he was working for a bank that gave him a loan to go to grad school. So he was sort of working off a loan for this bank, a Thai bank, and then they transferred him to LA. He wasn't even planning on coming to LA, he was just sort of transferred through this job that he had. And he, he was a junior loan officer in a bank and he, he was trying to take people around town to you know, like clients and whatever. And he wanted to take them to a Thai restaurant. And I, I guess like the couple that were around, he didn't really find suitable yeah in his mind you know for for like taking clients too so he thought all right well i'm just gonna make this thing and that's an idea that i respond to a lot is the idea of like just making something because you feel like there's a void yeah at the time like people aren't traveling to go eat you know they're eating in their neighborhoods it's there's not really this culture of like you know what, I'm going to drive 25 miles to eat the best taco because this guy said I should go. And the Thai restaurants would be in a Thai neighborhood, maybe, or like... Usually, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Hollywood and right. four Thai people, mostly. And, and, you know, there are probably one or two that were, like, a little nicer. You yeah. Know? But I, I think, like, even those, like, he wasn't super jazzed on. He probably thought, well, we have more to offer, I guess, Thai people. And What does Talisai mean? Literally, it means desert, but it's actually kind of a funny story. So, it's not like... He thought, let me translate desert, and that'll be a great name for a restaurant. It's like the worst, if you think about like <laughs> from a Thai sense. But um, yeah. he's always been like really um, progressive and that kind of thing, like way more than me. He's really out there. You know, when you always hear of, uh, you know, company leaders, CEOs, these types, and they, they say stuff like, if there were no bounds, if there were no parameters around this thing yeah like, what would you do like if, if there was nothing hindering your path what's your fantasy what do you want to make that's the headspace he's always that's, in. he's always in that so, you know he's just like well why couldn't we do it his thing is like well why not you know and it's taken me a long time and i've tried to pick that up that sort of thinking it's not just straight genetic it takes practice it takes practice you know especially if you failed as hard as i have you know so i've like i'm sort of dancing around but it's like I've sunk to some like real lows. And so it's tough on the heels of that to be super bold and to say, oh, well, you know, I'll do whatever. Like it's, you know, there's no bounds on this. You know, One I mean? of your notable pieces of writing has the headline, how I almost drove my family restaurant into the dirt or something. Yeah. <laughs> so he opened up in 82, um, you know, slow start. But once it picked up after like a year or so, a year and a half, they started getting reviewed like, everyone in like 80s Hollywood was coming, you know, like all the, you know, the cool, like, who's this? It's like 
like Michael um, Douglas and like Mick Jagger, Jack Nicholson, like Warren Beatty, like all these really cool wow. like all 80s right. guys. Um, he wanted to be in Hollywood. Like Bob Dylan, like 80s, 90s Bob Dylan, you know. Oh, nice. Like yeah, of, yeah. He came by and was like writing. There are a lot of like record company offices in the area. Like Geffen was right down the street. Mm-hmm. Some some other ones. And people would just come by and like it was sort of like a clubhouse, which is cool and which is something that I didn't really appreciate until recently. Like I was, yeah. you know, because it's like every photo you see of this era is so crazy. It's like all you, you know, see are the shoulder pads. Right? Yeah, right. And so for a long time, I was like, wow, that's like. It's just nuts, you because know, that's never really been me, you know? But maybe it has, and I was just kind of trying to fight against it. But anyhow, so I took over in 2010, and that's when I started the process of running the business into the ground, you know? Not, <laughs> obviously, unintentionally, but... That was after you had gone to, like, film school, mm-hmm. and you had all of these different... Weren't you working for, like, Richard Kern? I was working for Richard Kern, um... I was going to NYU film school, so I was really dropping the ball in in high school, like late high school, like junior, senior year. Just like kind of, you know, wayward, up to no good, generic kind of teenager stuff. So I remember the thing that, I don't know if it's still this way, but at the time the guidance counselors would ask you to apply to eight schools. So you have like a couple safety schools, Uh they call it, and then a couple like, I don't know what's in the middle, and then a couple reach schools. And I think for me, every school was a reach school because I was doing so poorly. And I I got into one school that I'm not going to mention, which was like... And hadn't they sent you to Thailand as a teenager to like kind of straighten you out a little or like... yeah. They sent me, this is like, you know, right at the onset of puberty. My dad had left LA, like he'd been running the business, running the restaurant for like 10 years or something like that, or a little over 10 years. And he was burnt out, like a lot of people who, uh, you know, run restaurants tend to be even after like a year, you know what I mean, or a couple years. And this was like 10 or 12 years. And so at the time, the, uh, the economy was sort of booming in Bangkok or in Thailand, and things were looking good, and he had this opportunity to go over there and, and help his brother with some project. And I, I think he was just like, he was so over L.A. at this point, and it, the restaurant was doing well, but it's just like, even if you're doing well as a restaurant, it's just exhausting, you know? Yeah. So he was like, he moved there with the idea that we would all move, but he sort of went there to lay the groundwork and get this business started and stuff. And I was finishing out like elementary school. So I was living here with my mom. And I'm sure that like some part of that, you know, like my dad leaving and, and stuff like nudged me in some way to kind of act up in my way. Yeah. But it was just like a really, really, it's like a really lame type of acting up. Like, um, like I went to a really nice lab school, like a progressive lab school at UCLA. So like a place where they test all these like, you know, uh, teaching, like teaching theories and stuff. Okay. Like one of the things, for example, is that they didn't teach us to read until like way late, but they taught us all these other curriculums that were like okay different. It was like a nice school. And, you know, like I somehow like I started stealing stuff. Like I started getting really into stealing and uh, which I hate now, obviously, but um, it's like, <laughs> now, uh, you got shit to steal. now that I have, now that I'm the one being stolen from <laughs> right. sometimes, you know, just like having a restaurant. It's like, right. I think it's the lowest thing to like, just take something from someone, you know, but at the time, right. I would steal anything. And it was the worst stuff too. It was stuff that is not worth stealing. So like Sharpies and yes. like, uh, Jolly Ranchers, stuff like that. You know, really, really like bottom of the barrel, like right. de- deviant, yeah, sort so of much, uh, private school behavior. So, so much candy stealing going on in San Francisco. So we, I went with my buddy David at the time. He's one of my best friends. We went to Disneyland, and we were entertaining some cousins he had from out of town. And we went to you know, like one of the souvenir shops, like near you know, like one of the rides, like Space Mountain or something. And uh, they had all these polished rocks like souvenir rocks like the really shiny oh yeah you know little rocks and i just like had on these really baggy pants and i just took like handfuls of them and stuffed them into my pants i thought like no one was looking and i was like super chubby and like not very good at that and as soon as we walked out this guy in like a safari outfit like came up and like grabbed me Oh no, he's like one of the cast members. He's like one of the guys and he just came out of nowhere and he just took me and my buddy and uh, he put us in this like Disneyland like uh, holding cell. 
<laughs> and I was just like, oh my God, my life's over. You know, it wasn't because I was really rebelling. Like I was happy. I wasn't trying to like cause some big drama. It was more like boredom, like private school, like malaise, like that's, boredom, you know. That's a powerful, that's a powerful life force, man. Yeah. You can so, bottle that shit. And so that's when they sent me to Thailand. And they were like, yeah, whatever this is, you know, we don't want it. We don't want it to develop anymore. Which, by the way, is the worst move. It's like if your kid's acting up to send them from L.A., you know somewhere in the states to like developing economy you know countries i mean it's gotten better but like at the time in the early 90s there it was just like things were starting to pop off there and it was starting to go from like the old thailand to like this really this new like cosmopolitan bangkok like tons of money like people were buying art and stuff that's like why my dad moved there he's like set up an art consulting business and those rich thai kids there was they were they're like some bad kids i mean they were just rich you know so <laughs> all right I, I don't know how bad they were it was just like anything that you wanted to do you could do pretty much like any sort of trouble that you wanted to get into you right. could get into and just like access to just everything. You know, you can go drink, you can go, like I learned to drive really young, you know, like when I was, <laughs> right. was like 13 or something, I was like driving around. Yeah, try doing that shit at so, UCLA, right? Yeah, so it was like, wasn't the best move for my parents to send me there. Did Level you stuff. fight trying to get into the restaurant in that at 2010 or were you ready? Like, were you like, yes, oh. film is behind me, like yeah. I've, I've gone and now it's time to get into this for real. No, I was totally ready because, um, so I graduated college in 2004 okay and so I spent like four years working for Richard Kern on and off you know like yeah. I'd sort of work you know a couple years and I'd like we quit and then I'd come back and you know so I was with him for pretty much like four years between 2004 and 2008 my family would ask me every now and then like hey do you want to come back and like help out with the restaurant and yeah you know, and I was like, no, I got something going on, assisting this uh, photographer that's like my hero and all that. And I, I got it, you know, like I'm doing my own thing. I felt like I knew deep down that like maybe someday I'd be involved in the in the family business. You know? Right. But like it just wasn't for me at the time because I never wanted to be involved unless I could really offer something. And I didn't want to just inherit this thing. I think from their viewpoint, they're like, all right, well, it's been 25 years. Like we got to get some new blood in here, which is like forever in restaurant years. That is a it's very crazy. long time. It was still doing well, but it was a natural time to pass it on, I think, yeah. from their standpoint. Well, and also having been like so in its time mm -hmm. back in the 80s and 90s, For I'd sure. imagine that it would then start to look a little like dated as yeah. a concept where it's sure. a clubhouse. It does start to feel dated and, and to look dated and like it sort of blows my mind. I mean, it's funny because like to paint a picture, like the restaurant was it was like super minimalist. It was like black and white. Like what a restaurant would look like if you watched a movie from like the early 90s or something. Like Pretty right. Woman or something like yes. that. Yes. You know, like that, that idea of like a fancy restaurant. So that's what it was like. And for me, I was like, I don't know if I really have any ideas to offer. Like I kind of don't want to just take this and then have it die on my watch. If it's like, <laughs> right. if it starts going down eventually. And it still had a, a big following, but it was a following that was like, it wasn't changing. And what was the kitchen like? Uh, my grandma on my dad's side was the original chef. And she's been like my, my true north, like my you know first teacher, and she was great. So it started as like kind of her takes on a couple different things, mostly from central Thailand, which is like one of the most complex, uh, like of all the cuisines of Thailand. But by the time I took over, the restaurant had gotten so much busier from the early days that I think a lot of the stuff they were doing that was like kind of cooler, but more of a pain in the butt to do. Okay. And then they're like doing things more that like, you know, that, that everyone wants at a Thai restaurant, you know, like the couple curries that are at all the restaurants. Right. And like, I always thought the cooking was good, but I think it just needed like a little sprucing up, like yeah. a little more specifics. You know, like a, a big part of it is, I'll give you an example. Like I think with a lot of immigrants who come over to the States and like open up restaurants, you know, I'll even say contrary to like, you know, the narrative people have now that, oh, so-and-so opened this restaurant. It's only meant for the people of that country. It's like, that's only partially true. And it's only become like a real narrative right in recent years like kind of a trope or it's like true but it's not it's like some restaurants are more geared towards 
serving a particular clientele, obviously. But in, in terms of it being absolute, like, I'm opening up this place and, you know, it, it's only for these people. Like, I don't care who else comes. It's right. Like, I think is a little too easy of a, a, a way to explain it. They're so, always in conversation with, like, the new place, the town that they're in and not yeah. just back home, back home. I bring it up because... Uh, like some of the things, for instance, like for a restaurant, like my family's restaurant where you have people coming by once a week and they're really good guests and all that. And like they start asking for one thing like, oh, well, could you make this one? Like, mm. but like do it like this, like that Curb Your Enthusiasm episode where they come up with the sandwiches, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's the Larry David sandwich. And then the other ones like that's the Richard and they uh, start horse trading. sandwich. Yeah. Right. So like, like kind of like that, you know, um, and so there are all these dishes are like, oh, yeah, that's the one version we make just for so-and-so. And there's this other one we make just for that guy's brother and that guy's business partner. That's you know? a trick, like, yeah. So there's a lot of that. And I was like, man, we got to, like, streamline that a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, so I had all these ideas. But what I didn't have was any sort of business background. I didn't have any experience running the place. Like, I grew yeah. up in it. I learned to cook in it. I waited tables. I did all that sort of stuff. But right. in terms of like being the guy in charge and like actually knowing what makes the business go round, yeah. you know, like yeah. from a financial standpoint or, or even just thinking about what is it that the guest wants? Like, how can we be of service to the guest while also creating some experience that's cool and, and good and of value. But all of that was on your shoulders at that point. It was or all did, on my shoulders, yeah. yeah. So it was a couple of years of me saying like, oh, I don't want to be involved. And then in 2008, I was sort of done with New York. I realized that, you know, I think in terms of like photography work, like I wouldn't be able to offer anything super meaningful. You know, like I worked for this guy that was my hero. Yeah. And then I started to realize, well, my photos are starting to look a lot like his because he's teaching me everything I know. Right. Yeah. And he's a guy I idolize. So I don't want to just go and make these photos that are just light versions of yeah. what he does. You right. know what I mean? Like, oh, if you can't afford him, like, come to me. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. <laughs> it's not the place you want to be in the market. And it was just like anything I did in my life, I always wanted to be able to have some sort of impact on it you know yeah. I didn't want to just take it on in, as like a custodian of something and so was, I started thinking you know with the restaurant I think I do have something to say with the restaurant I started to feel like all right I can have some impact on that and like I actually do have ideas for what we could do with the menu like how we can offer you know some dishes on the menu that represent more like where my mom's family is from like up north mm. you know and like we didn't really have anything like that on the menu and right I was like, okay we could do that we could do some, like, we were going to do a whole decor thing, like a remodel. And I was like, all right, I got some ideas, and now I want to do it. Because yeah. like before, I didn't have any ideas. I didn't want to just show up and, like, take a salary. Right. You know, I wanted to be able to do something. Well, so. And that, like, multi-generational restaurant thing is kind of a trip because obviously parents and children are different, and it's just through biology and nature and nurture and all that. But the restaurant is a single canvas, you know? So it's like I could really see if you have ideas of how you're different than your father, but you're gonna be working in the same space and clearly you would get a whole different set of concepts looking at the exact same problem that he was looking at 25 years before. That's pretty fascinating. So when you came in, were you able to do that at Talisai, like in that space? Or how did it end up that all of the kind of real inventing happened next door? So it was uh, 2008 when I took over, like spring of 2008, and then we started on this pretty extensive remodel that was like a lot of money obviously and we had to close down and it's so busy now that the thought of just like closing for an extra day to like do some work that we need to do and like the walk-in cooler or something like that is like horrifying but right but at the time i didn't think about this stuff i was just like oh man we've got to make it look super cool and we got to do all these little like decor things and you know we're closing and pretty soon it's like three or four months that we're shut down you know, people are like looking for other jobs and like, and I'm just oblivious to all of it because I have no experience in this. And we finally get it back open. I was looking at it from a really kind of idealistic standpoint, you know, like kind of like what I was saying earlier with my dad, like, oh, if there were no, you know, limitations on what you could do, like right. what would you do? Well, the unspoken part, the limitation is like, going out of business you know it's, <laughs> right. that's the limitation like it's, oblivion is waiting for you, you somewhere can, you can do anything you want but there are also going to be consequences you know what i mean so it's like all right so 
I started thinking we're going to be a dinner only restaurant because I think this is the type of place that's like supposed to be dinner only, which like makes no sense. It just like occurred to me. I was like, you know, going to make this like really serious kind of place. We shouldn't offer lunch because that's sort of like silly. Like down market. Yeah, it's like not. And meanwhile, I ignored like, all right, you know, that was a big thing. 30% 30% of our revenue or whatever. You right. Know? Like, I didn't look at stuff like that. And I was cutting menu items left and right. They were, like, real popular items. And it got to the point where I, I just believed, you know, the confidence of a guy in his 20s who just moved here from New York and was, like, ready to take on the world. That There's a lot of, of bullshit in yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, like, I was so confident in this idea. And, and I would just, I'd be, like, sitting at the bar and there wouldn't be that many guests. And uh, someone would come up to me and just be like, you know, you're that little shit owner, you know, the owner's son who took over, right? And I was like, yeah, what's up, you know? Like, literally, I'd get death threats, you know? Like, if you don't put that fucking curry back on the menu, like, I'm, you know, strangle you, and then I'm never going to come back. I'm going to strangle you first, and I'm never going to come back after that. And I was just like, all right, well, maybe this, like, just isn't for you, man, you know? Like, just, like, totally, like, (laughs) I wasn't giving, you know what I mean? Yeah, like. So it was just, it was like two years or, you know, at least a year, year and a half of like that kind of. That sounds pretty fucking intense. That curry must have been really good. People want what they want, you know. Right. So it's like, there's a place uh, in this neighborhood that's like kind of, kind of a red sauce Italian place. And I imagine like if they took like the meatballs off the menu, you know, some kid took over and was like, all right, no more meatballs. Like people would be like, are you fucking kidding? Right. I get it. I get the new stuff that you want to do. But, like, can you please just keep the meatballs? Like, right. You know. But they read you for what you were doing, which is just kind of giving them the finger at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, which wasn't my intention. My whole thing was, like, all right, you know, if people have been supporting this restaurant for so long, meaning, you know, supporting the family for all intents and purposes, like, they should support us in this evolution of it. You know right. what I mean? If, if people have been supporting us for 25 years our family doing this thing, this is sort of the next thing, you know, the next 25 years, right. they should support that. So yeah, in theory, that's true. But at the same time, when you're a place that like, you know, people come to for a specific experience or product or certain type of thing, you hold back that thing. Yeah, people are going to be bummed about it. You right. know? And, and I get that at this point. But at the time, like being like 25, it's just like not a concept. I was able to get through my skull. You're you know? sitting at the half-empty bar thinking, what is wrong with these people? Like, I know, they that's just exactly, yeah. It. So yeah, it was pretty brutal, and I, I had us on the brink of just completely shutting down, losing everything. You know, my family was really invested in it. I mean, like, really, you know, living off it. You know, it was like everyone wanted me to come back and be involved in the restaurant, but then once it started to go sour, it was like, it's your fucking idea. You know, so everyone started like getting Chris blamed. You know, that thing about like, you know, failure is an orphan, you know, whatever. Like, success has many fathers or right, parents. Right, right. So, Everybody was trying to disown the decision so to like, let this oh, guy man, back. Like, you're the one who fucking pushed for this guy to come back. Like, it was, I never should have listened to you and like all this stuff. So it was like really brutal. And I felt, you know, immense guilt, like, because. After a while, it started to really sink in, like, what I had done. Because initially, it was just like, all right, no, no, we just got to stick with it, and it's going to turn around and, and all this. And then eventually, once, like, we're losing staff, we're, like, empty, it was just brutal. Then I was, you know, and my dad would, like, sit me down, and he was like, I didn't want to do this, you know, but, like, you fucking left me no choice. Like, I got to come back in and, like, come out of retirement help correct the course. You know, that's a huge blow because, like, right. the course that we were correcting was me. It was my life. It was, like, correcting me, like. Right, because so, it was your identity. These weren't, like, random decisions. This right. was the way that you approached your life. It was an expression. Yeah, yeah, it was a really personal thing. It wasn't like if someone, you know, hired me to be a consultant in, like, a, you know, a random seafood restaurant in, right. you know, fucking Tampa, Florida or something. Like, this was really my thing. I was, like, the sort of stain that had to be corrected or, or like, cleaned up, you know, so. Scrubbed out of the carpet, man. That yeah. is. So that's it's brutal. It's a lot. It's, like, a heavy sort of. Low. Uh, heavy kind of trauma to have to deal with it's the father-son thing too Mm -hmm. it's just like you know part of me you know is probably trying to impress him and you know even if I didn't know it at the time I'm sure a part of me is like oh you know I want to 
if not impress him, then at least even be able to like transcend him. Because it's sort of the idea that each generation should kind of, not even within families, just like people, you know, each generation, the idea is that you should be able to transcend the things that came before you. Like that's progress, right? That is like, supposed to, that's supposed you, to be how it goes. It's supposed to be that way. It doesn't always work that way. And it, it was really heavy. Like we got in like major arguments, fights, like throwing chairs and like all sorts of stuff. And so it was basically like two years of, of me running Talisai. So like me, like probably for the first year running it into the ground. And then for the second year with my dad's help, like kind of picking it back up, okay. putting back all the stuff that I had taken away, like putting lunch back on, putting the dishes back on and just sort of trying to not go broke. I was just like, you know, a total like shell, you know what I mean? Like I was like just going to work and just like totally defeated. I was just like, man, like I totally fucked up on this one. Yeah. And then eventually the space next door became available and that's what became Night Market. And that was like, so like did, 2010. Did Night Market start from a position of strength or a position of, of just being like, shit, we got to try something else and here's a little space where we might do that honestly it started as an accident so basically this space became available sometime in early 2010 the space that night market exists in right now it's okay. like right next door and we took it over not with the intention of like necessarily doing night market we took it over with the intention of having it be like a private events like a, a pdr you yeah know, yeah like a private dining room and because at the time like business would pick back up where we like plausibly would need a private dining room like starting was, to feel it again yeah it was like money was coming back in guests were coming back all that and we were doing pretty good so i started hosting these little dinner parties in there like for friends and i would just do like a pop-up kind of but for free you know and i would just sort of cook some of the stuff that we uh, some of the food that we have now at night market you know like sausages and that kind of stuff so you were fucking around with like little off yeah, menu it was items yeah like, i would be in the kitchen it's the same kitchen you know like i'd be in that one kitchen that we share i'd be like making these dishes and then i'd be just opening tons of wine and i'd like invite friends and I'd be <laughs> okay. like just, let's just come eat and like, i can i can out, see the know? origin story starting to come yeah. together right and then it was like I did a handful of those and it just like, in hindsight, it's obvious, but at the time it's just sitting there right in front of you. It's and amazing. for me, it, I always wanted to open up like a night market type restaurant. We couldn't really do it with Talisai because it was so far from that experience. Right. So the idea was to do a sort of halfway thing. And that's when I think it kind of went wrong because it wasn't good for the old guests and it wasn't bringing in new guests. So everyone lost out. That's what your remodel a, of Talisai yeah, was. So yeah. like get a little bit more of that. It was supposed to be like kind of like a vibe. really sort of like a fancier, like bigger production, like a nicer looking, nicer feeling. Yeah. Like, and a less abrasive kind of a thing you know? yeah um, and then you ended up disappointing everyone and then yeah because so, it wasn't one way or another right it was just like in the middle which is the worst you know so and that's kind of what i learned so with opening night market it was like all right this this empty room i was ho having these dinners and then i started to think we had this guy visiting and i think a couple people said it i think one guy was like why don't you do those dinners but like officially or like find some way to make it a thing and you know and i was like no like you know i'm saving that for this other space and like right but the obvious thing is like you already have the space it's connected as a kitchen you can work with the same staff so they're kind of essentially hmm. it's like running a pop-up but you know with the same staff and, and i'm running both things and and, you know, instead of like starting from scratch in some other place and having to build a restaurant and like hire people and all that, it was like, why don't we try it out here? And then it started to make sense. I was like, all right, yeah, I guess so. You know, we brought in some tables because initially we just brought tables from the other side, from like Talisai. Right. Like we didn't have any of our own furniture. But you need to be more like, intentional. So then finally it was just like, all right, we'll build, you know, I'm going to have my artist friend. He's like a really good craftsman carpenter guy build these beautiful tables and it was like two communal tables you know because i thought oh it would be like super canteen style you know right it's like whatever i want to do the, the opposite of everything we'd ever done right you know? yeah and also color wise like i, I mean it's funny when you were mentioning the black and white kind of somber decor mm -hmm. upscale like i just came i had lunch at song which mm -hmm. was 
fucking great. And there's not a color that exists that I think can't be found somewhere in that restaurant. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, like yeah. it's big, it's bright, yeah. like it's got this like super boldness. Was that immediately part of Night Market? Vitalisai was that like no that didn't come till like years in it, it's funny because like the whole process of like conceiving the idea and all that it, like none of it came and none of it made sense I'll say it like it, it it's sort of like the decision making of, of someone who's not from the restaurant industry like someone who studied film and like worked in like fashion photography that checks out with a restaurant so right right it was an empty space that was like concrete floors and like white walls, it looked like a gallery, like an art gallery. Got it. And then I just put up like all these old photos that I'd taken of like girls and you know landscapes and blah blah blah, like different things. Mm-hmm. And uh, put those on the wall. And then I started projecting movies on the wall. I don't know. It just made sense to me, you know. And it wasn't meant to be like some crazy uh, decor or experience thing. It was just like we didn't have a lot of guests at the time and the main idea was to make it less lonely because it was this cavernous <laughs> kind of space. You know, it wasn't like... Right. Like song is really tight and it's like a little, right. little shack, you know? But um, with the other space in West Hollywood, it's like pretty big, high ceilings. Right. Really nice, but... Communal table for one is a weird experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I put up like, you know, I'd show like old tennis matches and like different movies and stuff and it just became this weird little spot and like some people dug it I think and some people were like this is totally weird and then some people I think just didn't understand it they're like I maybe I should like it or maybe I should hate it but I don't have the opposite reaction you know yeah so I opened up and it was like it can't get any lower because I've already experienced the lowest so I'm starting with a blank slate this time and this is like me just going all out doing it the way I want to do it this time and it's just like it's going to be great and it just can't get any worse and so I threw this big party I think I even DJed the party like I rented turntables and I was like full service man yeah I was like you know what I'm going to DJ my own like opening you know it was just like so crazy and uh and we had a crazy party and we had this little mini blurb in like the la times like blog you know oh shit (laughs) right a web blog Um, back in the day and it was like a little mention that like we were opening up and i was like oh my god this is amazing it was like a (laughs) tiny little blurb and uh, i was like coming off the high of this party and whatever and then like the next day we actually had to open up for like paying guests and like no one came that was it that was it it was just like this crazy party and then we like opened up for real and it was like i don't think we had one guest come in that night it was crazy because it was right next door to talisai and so both were open at the time it right. was like these two things where like you would walk in and then somehow i was expecting guests to just know oh well if you go to the right that's night market if you go to the left it's like right. you know chris's family's restaurant these plans that we all have blueprinted in our mind exactly are like and pretty oh, yeah, opaque I'm, to... I'm, I'm sure everyone will know and just it'll be so obvious because there's gonna be like loud music playing and blah 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 blah. you know so that was like a real like cold shower once again you proved you know? that free foods and free food will uh, make you popular yeah so i was like okay well i guess it can get lower and like <laughs> i was like it's not gonna get any worse and it got worse so it got worse for, for a while because, like, Talisai started to do better. And even though I was running both, right. it was really, like, the only reason Talisai was better was because we did away with all the stuff that I came up with. Right. So, you know what I mean? So, it's so like it a total like, referendum, like, exactly. Chris and his dad. Yeah, it was like, like the Chris, like, Brexit or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just, like, it was nuts. It just, like, led me to such desperation and, like, really, like, I, I just, like, left at one point. You know, it was at the point where I was like, okay, we might have to close. It was just, just, like, not happening, and maybe I should just be doing something else, you know? And I saw, like, a little advertisement. Oh, we joined up to do this Dine LA Restaurant Week. Um, okay. Which is, like, happening at the time. And I, I didn't know anything about it because I wasn't from the restaurant world. But I was just like, oh, it's cool. It's, like, people come in and you have a special menu and whatever. And it was a lot of money to participate, like, for us at the time. It's, like, 800 bucks or something to, like, mm-hmm. join up. And I'm right. like, we don't have 800 bucks lying around, you know? Right. But I was like, you know, maybe it'll be cool. Like some people come in who have never heard of us and like it'll be a real big opportunity. Whereas like I think a lot of places that are established look at it as like a quick like little hustle or something. Right. You know? It's I their can, Groupon like, moment. Yeah. And right. like, you know, fill some seats at lunch and like do this or that. You right. know? But we saw it as like a lifeline. Like, yeah. We were like, all right, they have this big database of like emails. 
it's not even like they're emailing people saying night market and we're just somehow like part of the fine print where You're it's like right, right we're one bottom. of the 500 restaurants that are participating but it was better than nothing right. so we joined up to do it and then one of it was at the time when like the, the tourism bureau you know the people who run it were like they still had an interest in like doing events based around launching mm. like restaurant week to kind of drum up attention for that's it that's right yeah so one of the events was a panel where Jonathan Gold was speaking and it was like Jonathan Gold and like two other people speaking about social media and stuff like that. I showed up, I was sitting in the audience, like a million people, and he like finished the panel. And um, I rushed him right afterwards, along with like 50 other fans. And I just like elbowed my way up to the front and like gave him my card. And I was like, hey, Mr. Gold, like uh, my name's Chris. I have this place called Night Market. It's on the Sunset Strip. I gave him my business card. I was like, I would love it if you came in. Like, you know, it was like my Hail Mary moment. I was just like super, super like desperation mode. That's nuts too. You know, he always struck me as kind of a, a little imposing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want to come and just like bring some stupid shit to him. No, you don't. He would not suffer it. But you know what? I had the freedom of, of not having another choice. <laughs> the freedom of, of being completely desperate and having that be my only option really. And then the freedom of not coming from that industry thereby not really caring too much, I guess. I was just kind of like, right. I it, respected him, you know, but right. I was like, you know what? I did the same thing to get my job with Richard Kern. And it was like the most intimidating thing I'd ever done in my life was to rush so I, I like I showed up. It was the same situation. I showed up at a, th- a panel that Richard Kern was on. That's a trip. And I like went up to him afterwards and asked if I could be his intern or like you know apply for a job at his studio. And it was the same thing with with Jonathan Gold, where I was just like like that's not the way you get a critic to come in. Like if I was teaching a course <laughs> on like how to start a restaurant and and get reviewed or whatever, that would be the opposite of what you do. That's amazing. But I had no choice. So you know he basically like took the card. I don't know what he was saying, but he was probably like, man, this is, this is like bizarre. This is like completely bizarre that someone would do this. Because uh-huh. you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to be that right. fourth wall or whatever. Well, and this is a guy who was anonymous up until pretty exactly. recently before then. He wasn't even supposed to be known as the guy who's got to exactly. come into your restaurant. Yeah, and you, you for sure don't like try to, like, I don't know, like strike up that. <laughs> That's awesome. You know. So all you legends out there, if you ever see Chris rushing at you at the end of a panel, oh, yeah, just be ready for it because this, this is Chris my doing his thing. That's, that's my move. <laughs> I mean, I've gone two for two now. So, right. You know, they should be open well. to it. Good things are going to happen. I don't know. I mean, another side note at the time, I was taking a, a remedial math class because I was like toying with the idea of going to business school because like everything was going wrong with, with my business. And <laughs> I was like, you know, it's just like I got to do something different because you can't do the same thing and expect a different result. You know, so everything has gone wrong. You know, like, let me do the opposite of everything that I've ever done in my life. So the opposite of that, the most radical thing I could do would be to like go to business school. And it's like those movies, like I forget which ones, like Ghost World or like some movie where they're about like teen angst where they're like, let's fuck things up from the inside, you know? I think that was like the sort of impetus for it, you know, like I'm gonna be this guy who's like never studied business except for in running my own business, who's never formally studied business, and I'm gonna go to Claremont or UCLA, Anderson School of Business or whatever, and I'm gonna like get a business degree and I'm gonna become some mogul or something, (laughs) you know? Crush it. Yeah, and it was just like, the only thing I was like, <laughs> I was doing was just like failing every test. I was like, I was in the middle of, uh, of failing a midterm because I hadn't opened the book once. And I, I got a text from the restaurant saying like, yo, that, that guy is here. The guy whose photo you put up by the computer <laughs> is here eating dinner with his family. It, it looks like no one knew who he was. None of the servers. Because, I mean, they didn't care, you know. Right. And, um, it wasn't their And world. like I said, it was kind of like he was anonymous, sort of, at the time. Right, right. He was just on the cusp of, like, coming out of that, you yeah. know. And then I was, like, going to rush back. I was freaking out. And they're like, no, he's already, like, on his way out. Like, you, you know, you're not going to make it anyway. So... And then um, he like tweeted something that night and uh, the thing that he wrote, like I barely had Twitter, you know, but like 
the thing that he wrote was so specific to the restaurant that a bunch of people were texting me and they're like, he didn't name the restaurant, but he like wrote something that could only be about that restaurant. dish. Yeah. About, yeah. And he, yeah, it was about one of the dishes and all these people were texting me and I'm like, how'd you know he was here? And he's like, cause he tweeted something and I was like, how do I look at that? You know? And I like, I like, <laughs> I had a Twitter at the time, but like I, I was doing it through like my desktop. Right. Like, the idea of having a mobile, like mobile yeah. technology. Just like, dealing with that shit on your phone. That's it, it amazing. It just did not register with me like one why anyone would want to tweet ever why anyone would want to have a smartphone or any of that I was late to a lot of stuff like, that's great well those questions are starting to come back around yeah I <laughs> anyway. was like yeah exactly I, but I was late to that stuff and then so I saw this thing that he wrote and you know and then he reviewed us it wasn't like we were successful overnight after that yeah it, was, it just like made it so that we didn't close down yeah that was it it was just like a little bit of a push a little bit of motivation to say like all right you can quit this stupid uh, math class that you're taking because you're never <laughs> you going to be... You can stop not studying you're, for yeah, the midterms. You're going to not, like, after you paid 450 bucks for this, like, Xerox copy textbook, which is horrible. It just gave me permission, essentially, to quit. And then he he, he came back again. Yeah, and then he sometimes. came back. Um, he came back a couple times, like, during that first stretch. It was really cool because, like... I think the second time he came in, like he called me when I was at home one day, he called me some night and he was like, Hey, it's Jonathan Gold. And I'm like, wow, like how did he get my number? But it's just one of those things you don't question, you know? And well, you did hand him your card. Yeah. I didn't have my number though. Or oh. maybe I did give him my number. I don't know. <laughs> but like, I think he called, you know what it was? He called the restaurant. Okay. And I think just said he was Jonathan Gold and they're like, here's a cell phone. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so he called me and he's king, like, huh? he's like, yo, he's like, Hey Chris, this is Jonathan. Like I'm going to bring Bring Renee Redzepi by. Like, I don't want you to freak out or anything. And like, don't do anything that's like, don't try to cook anything that's too crazy. Or like, you know, they're going to the airport like right after, and we're coming straight from an appearance like this lecture that he was giving. And the one thing he said that stuck with me was, um, he said, "What you do already is is, is good enough. So mm-hmm. like, don't do anything beyond that." Like yeah. you're, you're already doing something that's good enough for this guy who's regarded as the number one chef in the world. So, so just do that. Just do what you do. And I was like, fuck, you know, like that. I, I mean, I was like crying. I was like totally tearing up because like, you know, everything that I had done up into that point was like either a total failure or like marginally successful or somewhere in between. And, and, you know, for this guy who is like, you know everything for not only the LA food world but just like the food world and the world in general like to say like just do what you do you, you when were, we're on the verge of closing yep and he's like just do what you do because that's good enough I was like fuck so that's always stuck with me and like you know like since he passed I was like you know obviously you don't want to think about just like how he touched our lives like meaning night market people right but it embodies the way in which he's probably touched a lot of people's lives that little thing that's like keep doing what you're doing as hard as it is just keep doing it you know the guy was a metric ton of validation you know mm-hmm. for so many of the restaurants out there um, yeah and then he came in after that with anthony bourdain who's also you know everything you know what i mean like it was one of these and it's a trip so so you really became the place like when he wanted to impress people or make a point about LA, it was he really would bring cool. those people in. And you know, I think that was a big part of like, you know, just kind of reading the way he was responding to some of the stuff that we did. Like he, he wrote something about um, the restaurant having like a transgressive quality and he started talking about like Richard Kern and like, you know, sort of cinema of transgression and like that kind of stuff. To read that, this, this guy that someone is is sort of picking apart these things, responding to the things yeah. that I'm trying to place in there, you know, and like he's reading these accurately right. according to like our intention and responding to them and then writing about it and stuff. I was like, this is mind blowing. But yeah, he was like, one of the things he touched on was that, you know, it was like a real LA place. And I think that's why he wanted to bring those people by, you know, who don't live in LA and, you know, are just passing through every now and then. And like, he wanted them to say like, all right, like, this is what we have in L.A., young people like this opening up places like this. And this is like, this is an L.A. restaurant. That's what we started out talking about. This is an L.A. place, not mm-hmm. a Thai place. Obviously, people should go and read Jonathan about it because uh, he's right. He, he wrote what you were trying to see in the world. But, like, what do you, what's your take on why it's an L.A. restaurant? Is it the fact that it's also that it does have roots, like that it's tied back to your family 
but that it's also this totally reinvented thing or you know it's funny i'm seeing now that we're almost 10 years in i'm seeing that a lot of the stuff that i'm doing is really just another version of what my dad was doing what my family was doing and it's like we're addressing the same concerns you're seeing the cyclical kind of point of it. it it looks different yeah you know i mean so if you approach it on like a surface level it's like a different restaurant but if you look at it you know thematically we're dealing with the same stuff like opening a place because you don't feel like it existed so he didn't feel like there was a thai restaurant where you know like the glitziest people would want to come eat and like party and drink cocktails and like all that sort of stuff right and have cool art and like you know I mean, it's like the servers were wearing leather and stuff it was like super <laughs> crazy but um and then for me it was like i didn't think there was a cool thai place to go and like drink natural wine and have like this the sort of food and like have it exist in the same place and have right. it be presented in that certain way which at the time was not particularly like I wasn't hitting people over the head with the fact that we we're a Thai restaurant, you know? Like, right. I didn't have all the Thai, like, decorative elements or whatever, you know? Like, like right now, I think our colors are pretty Thai. Right. You it's can also that. be like, oh, you know, like, I've seen those colors in Mexico City. Or yeah. Or I've I, seen them in, like, uh, what's that neighborhood? Like, Barranco in, in Peru or, or in Lima. In Lima, yeah. Know, like, Definitely, know? like, got me some Caribbean vibes or yeah. something. Just that, like, super brightness uh, to it. But then it, there's something about the voice of the place, too, that I really like. Like, we're not trying to do every single Thai dish or every single cool Thai dish. And there's a lot of stuff that uh, maybe isn't in our wheelhouse that, you know, that we don't do. And so, and I'm okay with that. It's like... We're just going to do us. This is what we do. And if you want this other thing, you can go to this other place. And that's why that other place is good. That's why <laughs> right. we're good at right. what we do because it's, it's our thing. I just got to mention that, like, I started this thing um, literally, like, when we opened, like, I was writing, like, press emails under, like, a pseudonym. Oh, you were doing that you know, like, I was just barren, like, where whatever just, Trump was doing when he would call the... Uh, the oh, papers yeah. pretending to be his. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, I'm it's, not. it's a hustle. Yeah, so yeah. I'm. Ba- I did the Trump thing, I guess. You know, I was like, I, I don't want to cast any aspersions. But you know, I was just. We didn't have anybody. You know what I mean? So you were you were your PR agent under I was a different name. You know, it wasn't necessarily like PR. Like I wasn't like you know really hustling it. I would just do like a newsletter. Mm-hmm. So for the people who came in, we'd have these like makeshift little uh, sign-in sheets where you can put your email. I didn't have a program or anything. I'd just send it from like night market at Gmail or something. Right, right. But anyways, the point is I, I mentioned this because it's not that way now. We have a ton of people. And one of the people who's been super instrumental in like helping us get to where we are and uh, in helping us to feed as many people and touch as many people as, as we can is, um, is my wife, Sarah. I got to give all props to her because like I pretty much handed off 90% of like the wine stuff to her. What's what, uh, what's your wine styles? Like how do you guys compare? Um, how, like you how mean do you between go Sarah about, and I? Yeah, yeah. Is she more of like a well, analytic type? Is she more just kind of... No, I think she's pretty much in line with me and, and has like evolved because we're, you know, we're always together and she was never historically like a wine drinker. But, mm. you know, when she moved to LA, I have this like forceful way of like, okay, no, this, you drink this because it's good, you know, like, okay, like, we're going to eat at this sushi place, we're going to do this, like, I, I don't know, I'm just excited about the stuff, you know, it's just one of those things, you want people around you to care about the stuff that you care about. It took her a minute, but I think she really fell in love with it, and then, like, really wanted to be more a part of, like, the wine right. part of the restaurant, yeah. and, and for me, I was like, I'm also, you know, I mentioned this before, like I'm sort of a control freak, you know? So I think if like, if something's not going to benefit the restaurant or the guest experience or like really be true to that voice, it's tough for me to just be like, oh yeah, like I want everybody to be able to participate in this thing because it's not a democracy, you know? Like I said, it's like my vision of what the wine list should be. She's learned that and has added her voice to it, you know, but within the the universe of like night market, what makes sense for you know, night market would make sense for our guests and that kind of thing. So why, so tell me about the Dufate here. Like this is, uh, why is this a good night market wine? Why do you, why do you have this? This is, you know what, this is, again, this is one of Sarah's picks and one that like I get behind, you know? So this is, uh, is Beaujolais. That's kind of, it's 
a red wine from a region that that has a cool if historically like undervalued output you know okay. or culture right. like a yeah. place that not until relatively recently was not thought of as being really great you know or, yeah Beaujolais is like kind of like party red or something yeah so something like that you know there's you know I don't want to get too much into it because there's a lot of like you know like kind of cliche stuff that people talk about it but basically a place that makes magical wines and is one of you know like two wine regions that were like the basis of the night market list you know like really Beaujolais and like the Loire Valley as a whole you know which is comprised of a lot of different places but you know it's it's an easy red it's a wine you could drink for lunch you know it's a wine you could drink when you show up uh, if you've been your bull- and, bullied out of uh, drinking beer yeah it's a good uh, it's lunch just, wine it's good it's good all around you know it's um right and you didn't like your first response to that isn't like well listen with the flavors that we have on the menu a wine like that goes well or something like you're pretty content to let the wine tell its own story and be from this w- one part of a region that yeah is working for you I mean, a lot of the wines we put on the list are meant to be appropriate or, or delicious. I don't want to just say appropriate because it means like you're like you're just settling or something. You right. Know? But you're checking that the box. they're good throughout the meal. It's not like, you know, we're not going to be like, oh, you just got this dish. OK, I'm going to pour you like two ounces of this. Yeah. And then it's a bottle that you're just supposed to sit with and then kind of drink. Yeah. You know, preferably fast, you know, because it's not really... Um, pensive kind of thing it's right. just, it's a beverage it's one of the things we want to show people is that like yeah it could be an eye-opening really awesome experience but it's also a beverage so like so don't think of it right really any differently than you would like singha or something except that there are cool stories that the, it does taste in some cases like stuff you never had before right it, it can be a really enriching kind of experience so this is probably like broader brush than you would paint but it sounds like you're kind of democratizing the experience a bit especially with natural wines and people because i've had some very slappable conversations with people about natural wine because it's an insider knowledge that you know and I, I think they know who they are but you know where it's just like really hard to have a, a down-to-earth conversation yeah. because uh it's a it's a religion it's a a calling but what you're also saying is like it's a drink let's yeah, have a good time I mean, with it for me it's just it's no more no less than what it is i'm not in any way equating like miller high life right. with like some of these great producers that we work with that are really fighting for their lives in the vineyards you know it's like to work in the manners under which they work it's not easy it's a real struggle and you know with climate change and just like year to year climate problems i'm not trying to say like oh it's the exact same thing as like budweiser or whatever but i'm just saying in terms of the pleasure it could bring you or the context in which you could drink it it can be similar you know it doesn't have to be this other thing right i definitely want to support it and put it out there but i'm not the sort of idealistic natural wine drinker yeah I'd say like yeah. it to me it's more about each wine it's not about every little detail of it you know I mean it's boring it's just sort of like you know I'm into good wines I prefer wines that are pretty stable but I also you know we're about to pour a wine that's pretty fucked up we're gonna pour in a very specific way it's a sort of wine that needs to be poured colder uh, so preferably when the weather warms up right to sort of heighten this is this something that's coming to the it. menu. It's coming to the menu. To, to we already list. have it. Yeah. Oh, nice. And it's it's really awesome wine, and we're the only place that's going to have it. And so it's like a house wine, except it's the opposite of what a house wine would be, which is like a more user friendly, middle of the road thing right. that anyone can drink. Like, how do you think about that? I mean, obviously today's a great day to talk about failure because it feels it's got to feel like somewhat in the rear view mirror, you know, but. How do you, do you find yourself more motivated by a day like today or a day like the day after your opening of Night Market when nobody showed up because it wasn't free? You know, it's all just, I guess it's all just part of the process. You know, like I didn't know that these things were going to get announced today. I wasn't following along with (laughs) it. You weren't on the live Twitter cast. I really wasn't, you know, and I just like, with the wine thing, I've really kind of asked Sarah to run with it, you know, since I felt like she was ready. And then in terms of the best chef thing, best chef West Coast, like it's a testament to how well our, our team is doing. And, you know, like I have a really good 
uh, sous chef into, and, and she's really been able to lead our team to great heights. And, you know, my job is really to work with her and, you know, work with all our new team members and, and just keep doing what we're doing day in, day out, you know, so. What's next? Are you guys opening anymore? Are you going to keep it, keep it relaxed for a little bit? I think three is good for now. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see. Yeah. Let's say bring public yeah. transportation to this fucking city. I know, right? <laughs> but I think three is good for now. Yeah. You know, we'll see. We'll see where the future takes us. Beautiful. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, thank you for pouring uh, this this uh, of course fantastic wine and for talking with me. Thank you, by the way, because I hadn't mentioned it. Thank you for the ride back to Chiang yeah. Mai a few weeks ago. Anytime. I'm happy to be of service. <laughs> I'll, always, I'll always be uh, psyched to crawl in the back seat there. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Uh, appreciate it. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. The Trip from Luminary Media and Roads and Kingdoms is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg. Taffy Mokanyadze is our editor and resident Rosé Warrior. Emily Marinoff is our producer. Music by Dan the Automator. Episode illustration by Daisy D. Show artwork by Adele Rodriguez. Executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Now for a word about Luminary Media. The trip has arrived. We are on Luminary exclusively. It's a platform for a diverse and amazing array of podcasts that will be yours ad-free if you sign up now. This show will remain free for the next month within Luminary, but after that, it's all for subscribers. I hope that you will stand up and be counted among the righteous. Go to luminary.link backslash trip to sign up today. That is luminary.link backslash trip to sign up. Next week, the final episode from Los Angeles, we're getting a little personal and, fair warning, a little bit emotional. It is an episode of the trip, but it's also a testimony, something I want my kids and someday their children to hear and to really understand. It's an interview with my own father-in-law, Yukio Iwamasa, an artist, an entrepreneur, and a second-generation American who spent much of his childhood locked away in a concentration camp just because of his ethnicity. It's an astonishing story, a crime, a blight on our country, and it's never as far from happening again as you might think. It was an honor to hear the story from someone who lived it. I will meet you there.